This is Beyond the Farm Gate, a show where we shine a light on great Australian stories in agriculture. On the show, you'll hear from farmers who've survived challenges like fire, flood and drought, farmers who run innovative and unique agribusinesses, and farmers who are balancing work and family in rural Australia. You'll be inspired hearing their stories and pick up some insights along the way. I'm your host, Annie Herbert. Alongside me, Matt Hour. Today we're chatting with Kelly Barnes. Kelly is the founder of Mates Dog School. Mates not only teaches low-stress stock handling and dog training skills, but it also aims to build social connections with like-minded people. In this episode, you'll hear about Kelly's journey from her family farm in England to Australia's remote sheep stations, why she's fallen madly in love with rural Australia, and why she believes farm dogs are so much more than just working companions. Let's jump in. Well, firstly, welcome to Beyond the Farm Gate, and thanks for making some time to join us today, Kelly. Thank you, and thanks for having me. No, not a problem at all. So... Kelly, to kick us off, would you like to tell us about your connection to agriculture and where that all began? Absolutely. So I grew up on a farm in the southeast of England, so just about an hour outside of London. My dad has cropping and we used to have a few beef cattle and then my uncle's on the same farm. They run a piggery and cropping. So I've always sort of grown up in agriculture, but more on the cropping side and then I studied animal science at uni and then went on to work on a sheep property for the year after I left uni. So I always had a connection, sort of grew up in agriculture and then veered off into the more into the animal side of things. What was it that made you choose to study animal science? What was it that really interested you about it? It's a really good question. I don't know. And I think I've just always had this ingrained love of animals. I used to go into my uncle's piggery and hang out in there and play with all the little piglets and things and then we used to have they obviously had farm cats in there and I'd spend time with the kittens and we've always had a dog so we've always had a a border collie at home and I've just always loved animals so it was a natural progression to me I guess um, when I was at school I went and studied animal care module that would be the equivalent to TAFE and then I went on to study animal science yeah I've just I've always loved animals and I've always stayed in that that sector That's what I was going to ask Kelly about studying. There's sort of a similar type of structure to us over here when we finish secondary school and then choose a course at uni. So what would be the equivalent of year 10? I finished then and then I went to what would be the equivalent of TAFE. So I did a, a national diploma, it's called, so it would be similar to your diploma here. And then that then got me into university. So it's sort of another pathway. It's very similar to here where you could do your year 11 and year 12 or you could go and do like a vocational learning and then get through into uni that way. And because I had extensive sort of farm background and good grades in my course, then that was the transition was really quite straightforward. So jumping back, you know, growing up on a farm, in the UK is probably very different to growing up on a farm over here. Are you able to tell us what it was like to grow up on a farm over there? Yeah, so it is very, very different. It's a much smaller scale. So we would have 150 acres, something like that, which is obviously compared to here very, very different. But the the stocking rates and everything like that are a lot higher there. The yields, obviously, of the crops are a lot higher. It's a lot more intensive 
There's also a lot more regulation. So with the livestock side of things, the animal welfare regulations are a lot stricter. So that can be quite challenging. For me, where I grew up, like I, we were quite near town. So we weren't, so I'm sort of down south, like an hour from London. And we were very surrounded by town and houses and things like that. Whereas a lot of the, my friends that I went to uni with, they were in a much more rural setting like I definitely found that challenging at school like I sort of couldn't find my fit at school I had a lot of town friends but not really the the agricultural farming friends that I obviously I really craved so when I went to uni it was amazing because I found this whole group of people that I really fitted in with so it's yeah quite an interesting sort of thing looking back on that was definitely very challenging through school because I just didn't really find my group of people and I was quite shy but once I got to uni, I found this, this whole world of people that I really fitted in with. So, yeah. A really key part of agriculture is you know, finding like-minded people and creating that sense of community. So, you know, I do understand what it would have been like to finally find your, your tribe, so to speak. Yeah, and that's it's very similar to when I um, travelled to New Zealand and to Australia, and that's what I really, really loved about being in Australia that everyone talked about farming everyone was involved in agriculture like it absolutely blew me away that you had drench adverts on tv because we just would not get that in the UK it was hilarious and I remember telling my mum and dad about it they're like oh my god that's you know that's really great that's what I really loved coming here because like everyone was my tribe whereas at home like in England, it was a very small sector of the population and it's quite hard, like it's well-known agriculture but it's not really, really supported like it is here and not Mm. everyone's involved in it so it's a very sort of segregated sector. Yeah. Tell us about the journey that led to you living in Australia, Kelly. Okay, so I think when I was at uni my dad was working, so he does agricultural contracting, so haymaking and silage and things like that and he had a number of New Zealanders working with him. And I don't really know exactly where the idea came from, but I got this idea about going to New Zealand once I finished uni. So off I went to New Zealand and worked there for seven months, and then I had a little holiday. So I have a friend that I went to uni with that lived in Wagga. Yeah, I came over to there, stayed there for a few weeks and just really loved it in Australia. I had my year working holiday visa, so I ended up staying here for a year and then worked on a farm in southwest Victoria up in Cavendish and then went over to WA and worked on a, a sheep stud down near Katanning. And I just absolutely loved Australia and it was time to go home because I'd been out here for 18 months away from home. But once, yeah, I went home and stayed a couple of months and did a bit of casual work and then just really wanted to come back. So I came back and did another year or did another few months travelling around here and then just, yeah, never really settled when I went back to the UK and always just wanted to come back to Australia. So eventually came back and I've been here full time since 2010 and I've got my permanent residency, so I've had that since November 2011. And, Kelly, we touched earlier on, you know, the people within Australian agriculture, but aside from that, what was it that you fell in love with when you came out here? 
I really, really love the open space. I really love the beach and the warm weather. So I'm not a fan of the cold at all. So um, it was just, it was just like my ideal place, and I can't believe I didn't find it sooner. It was, yeah, I just really loved it. I really loved the people. So I didn't really like do a lot of touristy traveling when I was here. I always just worked, worked on farms, um, and that's what I wanted to do. And I really loved the fact that I met all the locals and got involved in the local communities and things like that. So it's really weird because. People always ask me this, and I like I couldn't pinpoint one thing, but I just really felt like I'd found my fit here. Whereas I'd always, like I said before, I'd always sort of didn't really find my tribe where I lived, and yeah, I always just didn't quite feel settled. Whereas once I came out here, like it's definitely been tough. There's times where I didn't have much work, or I'd have to find work, or I didn't have the connections being in a completely different country. But always loved being here, so I've always made it work. That's where I wanted to delve a little bit deeper, Kelly, because being a travelling worker in Australia has certainly hit the spotlight in the last 12 months with COVID. And I wanted to ask, what was it like being a travelling worker and working on Australian farms? What was your experience? Yeah, that's a really good question, Matt. I loved it. It wasn't hard to find work. Like there's definitely a lot of work out here, but I think you've almost got to prove yourself sometimes because I guess for me, like I was quite capable doing the livestock side of things, but I had that that image of being a backpacker. And I know when my friend and I went, we went and worked on this really remote sheep station doing some browsing work in the shearing sheds for a couple of weeks, and it was up in the Flinders Ranges. And these the shearers there were giving us a hard time because we were two English backpackers. And so, and we remember listening to them talking outside, and they're like, oh, you know, like these two pommy backpackers. And then once we'd worked with them for a few days, they were sort of like, oh, you guys are a bit different. Like, you sort of, <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. So I had Dougal. So Dougal, my Kelpie, I got him when I first came over here because I just really, really missed having my dog and eventually I caved and got him. And so there's these two English backpackers in this really old $1,800 Commodore and the dog. Yeah, people just thought we were really bizarre, I think, to start with. And we went over to WA and the shearing contractor there, we rang him from South Australia and sort of begged him to give us this job. And we got there and, and he's just, I remember him saying afterwards, or his wife was telling us, she's like, yeah, like Ross, he just didn't know what to expect. But he's like, I said to him, oh, you know, I've got a dog, like, is it okay if I bring the dog? And he's like, oh, yeah, here we go, like some poodle or something. And I said, no, is it like he's a Kelpie? And he was really good and he'd come panning up and, and um, yeah, I think they would just didn't know what they were getting with us. It was very funny. <laughs> so this, my experience being a travelling worker is probably a bit random because I just was adamant I was going to work on farms and I was sort of trying to prove myself and eventually, yeah, people did – take us seriously but it took <laughs> took a bit of work I think but and the other thing like I've worked with some other traveling workers and they're amazing so it's quite funny like I always you know I had that farming background and quite a lot of them do but there's other ones that come over and they've got no idea what they're doing but they're actually really good because they've got no previous experience so they've got no preconceived ideas they're very willing, they're very happy to work, they're just loving being over here and they'll get really immersed in what they're doing. So 
yeah, it's quite, like it's definitely an amazing experience, but I definitely found that I had to prove myself and it took a long time for people to really believe that I, that I knew what I was doing. I think they're always a bit dubious that you're going to stick around too. So once you find somewhere and you want to stay and you want to set your roots, that can be a bit challenging too. So I didn't come over here with a partner. I didn't meet an Australian guy and stay and get married. So they were always a bit sort of looking at me a bit funny and wondering why I was still here, I think. So (laughs) that's always the one. And that's the one thing people ask you when you say you moved here and you're a permanent resident. Oh, so did you, you know, did you meet a guy and, I say no, and they're like, oh, okay. Mm. So, yeah, that's always quite funny as well. You have now settled and, you know, you found your home in Dunkeld. What's that like as a farming community? Oh, Dunkeld's amazing. So we ended up here by sort of by, not accident, but my friend and I didn't want to live in Hamilton, but we had a lot of work around this area. And so there was Coleraine, Cavendish and Dunkeld, and we were looking at just renting a house and this house in Dunkeld popped up and so off we went and didn't really know much about the little town. Once we got there, it's it's just an amazing town and it's absolutely growing now with the with the tourism and there's a new trail going in from Halls Gap, a walking trail from Halls Gap to Dunkeld. But the people here are amazing. They're really, really supportive. They're really friendly. With the pub here, with the Royal Mail, there's a lot of people from outside coming in as well so there's a lot of international travelers there's a lot of people from Melbourne so it's a really really sort of broad range of people and that's grown over the years so if I look back 10 years ago it was a bit harder to sort of get in with the local community there was yeah definitely people that had been here and lived here all their life that were a bit wary about people coming in whereas now that's really opened up there's a lot more people moving from outside but it's yeah it's beautiful little town and there's so much community spirit here there's so many different community groups and yeah the support's amazing and everyone's been really lovely to us and when you talk about community spirit I understand that you've also been a part of reviving the local CWA are you able to tell us a little bit about that absolutely so that that's another hilarious story when I tell people I'm in the CWA they just look at me like I've got two heads and (laughs) Yeah, it's always very funny. So a few years ago, they put up a little post as a couple of local ladies that got dragged into reviving the the CWA to see if we could get another branch up and running. So I've sort of gone along right from the start. Yeah, that's another amazing group of ladies that they've all ended up being in their, I don't know, 20s, 30s and 40s. Some of the older ladies that came at the start don't come anymore because we're too young, don't want to come anymore, which is a little bit sad because I loved having them there. It's like having another set of parents, so it's really good. But, <laughs> like, it's just a really friendly group of people and we've did really, really casual and, like, we found the most success in, in the meetings has been ones that involve food. So whenever we've gone for <laughs> dinners or whenever we've, <laughs> we've had sharing plates and things like that, um, we get the most people. So we've just kept it a really casual – everyone's under so much pressure with their sporting, with their school, with everything else to do fundraising and do events and do all this other stuff outside. We just want to catch up. So people just loved coming and meeting different people and catching up. And I've met so many ladies through there that I would never come across in any other 
outlet so I don't have kids so I don't have the school connections I don't play sport like I'm hopeless at netball so I did a bit of that stuff when I first moved and sort of went along to training and things but I didn't like I haven't done that grown up doing that so there's this other little group of sort of people that have all come together just through wanting to catch up and get away you know from home for an hour or two and it's yeah it's really lovely. It's a really great message for other communities as well that perhaps don't have a CWA or it you know does need reviving that it is really key to that community spirit and creating a really strong and well-connected community as well. Yeah, that's right. And it's it's really all about the social connection. It's about meeting face-to-face, getting outside of the house, just catching up and not having that pressure, I think. And that's what works really well with our group. Like there's no pressure to be doing all these events and doing all this fundraising and doing all these amazing things because everyone already does that. They all do that all the time outside of the CWA so and we do do a couple of fundraisers like a cake sale so we have a cake sale once a year and it's always really really popular and we do it on a weekend where the local footy's in town and there's a lot of traffic but other than that it's just really about getting out and just hanging out with some other people for a couple of hours and having a chat and that's what's been so successful for us I think. Kelly Moving on to a a topic which you're perhaps best known for and and working dogs, can you tell us a little bit about when you realised how important your working companion was to your overall health? Yep, absolutely. I could talk about dogs for hours, Matt, so this is great. Um, (laughs) so, so, So a couple of years ago, back in 2018, I participated in a digital storytelling workshop through the National Centre for Pharma Health. It was a storytelling workshop for young adults that had been through a challenging time. So I'd been diagnosed with a chronic pain condition called fibromyalgia, back in 2015 so there's this whole journey of sort of transitioning from doing on-farm work and doing what I was really good at to then having to find a whole new purpose and a whole new fit and when I was going through so I wrote a little a little piece that I recorded and then you put pictures and different things to it and it creates this story and when I was looking for pictures back through my phone trying to find things to put in there literally every second picture or more 90% I would say were selfies of me and the dog or selfies of me and another dog or someone else's dog (laughs) and it really it's really kind of sad but it really got me thinking how much they meant to me how big they were in my life and I know like when I so when I left the UK I had a, a really amazing border collie and I was devastated leaving her behind yeah so I'm looking back through all these pictures and then they've gone from you know us doing selfies on the bike to me on the couch obviously when I was really fatigued or had a lot of pain me and my old dog were on the couch taking selfies so uh, it, it just really got me thinking well if that's you know if they can be such a great support to me every livestock farm has a dog and there's this huge mental health issue with like regional Australia, maybe they can sort of learn to use their dog in the same way. And that's when I really got into looking at like therapy dogs and getting on this whole path of using the working dog to provide companionship and connection to farmers. And did that lead to an idea for for Mates Dog School? Can you tell us a little bit of behind the philosophy to to go into that business idea, I suppose? 
Yeah, so that's absolutely Dougal here is the, I call him the founder of Mate's Dog School. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so it did. So I've sort of had this little idea brewing and I'm thinking, oh, I don't really know how, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh, I don't really know if it's a very good idea. And I sort of worked through it and I joined a few Facebook pages for Kelpies and things like that. And eventually I got, brave enough to actually sort of start talking about this idea to other people and not thinking I was just on a bit of a random tangent and other people kept telling me how great an idea it was so I said god I've got to do something about this and yeah so I've come up with this it's all a bit of a still work in progress but just about training farmers to train their dogs better but in that training then getting them to learn to understand their dogs better um, learn to work their stock better to reduce their stress levels and then actually enjoy spending time with their dog because I think a lot of farmers have got this dog and they don't really get the dog the dog doesn't really gel with them and every time they take it out it's just an absolute nightmare and it's really stressful and it you know creates this whole chaos whereas I think once you get them understanding their dog and then looking towards their dog as a teammate as opposed to a work tool so you know really using that as a source of companionship because you do often spend all day every day on your own on the farm and that's the only live contact you'll have Um, so really getting them to focus on that bond and bond with their dogs and use them as a support tool and then tell them anything you like like they don't care you can talk to them all day every day tell them all your problems and they still just wag their tail and uh, wake up every morning happy to see you. So, yeah, really trying to encourage that relationship that I have with my dogs and make it okay for other people to do that too. I think there's a lot of stigma around, you know, it's a working dog, you can't bring it in the house, you can't pat your working dog, you can't, you know, you can't be really nice to it. I think that's a load of rubbish because mine have worked better for me when I have really bonded with them. So, yeah, just trying to break down those barriers and really encourage people to see them as so much more than just a work tool. And when it comes to like learning about low-stress stock handling, is that part of your shift away from sort of that manual work on farm? Uh, did you have to sort of relearn or, or study dog training or has it always been something that's just been a part of what you do when you're working on farms in Australia? Good question, Matt. So I was really clever and I teamed up with Ian O'Connell, who is just the best dog trainer there is. So I like I can I really enjoy the stock work and I can do it, but it's he is just amazing. And so I've sort of teamed up with him. He teaches the dog training and then I'm incorporating program coordinating and then incorporating the resilience and well being aspects. So I I do chip in a bit with my dog anecdotes, but I've got someone that really can focus on the dog training and then I can – so it's really hard to explain, but behind the scenes it's sort of piecing all the pieces together, so observing the participants, ensure they're interacting, sort of picking up on the things that they're struggling with and we can include them later down the track and then opening up conversations. So it's really creating a safe space in that day in that working group for them to start opening up and having conversations about their physical well-being or their mental well-being, like I've shared my story with them. And then we include aspects of resilience in each day. So we've talked about goal setting, nutrition, and then we're going to do a bit on personality styles. So 
yeah, I've kind of handballed the dog training side of it to Ian and then I'm doing all the background stuff and it's working really, really well. So, Kelly, two questions to wrap us up today. The first, what advice would you give to a young person thinking about coming out to Australia and working on a farm here? I would say just absolutely come out and do it. The people are really, really lovely. They're very supportive and very, very welcoming. So I would have been extremely hesitant. Like I, I might not seem it, but I'm quite shy sometimes. And that, I think, to me was a barrier. It definitely slowed me down a bit. And I just would say to anyone, just come out and have a go. Everyone is really, really accommodating And no one cares that you haven't done it before. If you're willing to have a go and you're willing to learn, that's all that's important. That's awesome. And the final question, which we do ask all of our guests on Beyond the Farm Gate, is when you're out on the farm or perhaps when you're out with Dougal doing some training, what work boots do you wear? Oh, so this is really hilarious, Annie, because I can't really... So I can't really wear work boots anymore because my fibromyalgia, like I get all these really weird pain things and my feet really hurt. So you will see me out in these really random shoes like runners and um, I've I've got these black shoes at the moment and as my, my work colleague described them, they're really ugly but they're really comfy. That's the main thing. <laughs> so they I can't even think what brand they are, but they're, they're like a kind of runner slash leather work shoe thing. But they're so comfy. They're very, yeah, they're very good, but they're not your traditional work boots. So I, I've gone through the, the hundreds of different work boots and they're just really, they just really hurt my feet because they're too hard and I need really squishy soft shoes. So There is nothing wrong with that. That is a perfect no, answer. So you've just got to you just got to improvise, I think. Absolutely. So thanks, Kelly, and thanks to Dougal as well, who has been very well behaved during he has. chat. He didn't, didn't do any snoring, and he's just lying on the floor, very oh, well that's behaved. Awesome. We can't wait to see what the two of you get up to next. So yeah, thanks again for chatting to us. Excellent. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Yeah. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced by Rural Bank. Rural Bank supports the agribusiness community by providing financial services, knowledge and leadership for Australian farmers to grow. If you'd like more information about the topics we've discussed today, as well as links and other resources, we've added those to the show notes for this episode. You can find them by tapping or swiping over the cover art in your podcast player now. And while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm Annie Herbert. And I'm Matt Hour, and we'll chat to you next time.